As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Emma Lowson, current game designer at Mighty Kingdom. So join us as we explore our journey. So today I'm joined by Emma. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Yeah, great. Um, busy times for us both, as we were discussing before the show, but we get by, right? Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, so this is Dev Diary, series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. And Emma, you have some really, really cool titles that you've worked on, and I'm sure lots of really fascinating stories to share from the likes of uh well of course mighty kingdom where you where you currently are but even some of the adventures prior to that and we'll, we'll get into all of that shortly but before we get to that point i'd love to explore some of your early gaming experiences do you recall what the first video game was you ever played or what some of the first games were that you played yeah so um i have a bit of an interesting background in terms of games development and growing up with games um which is I, I didn't at all. Um, i didn't right. have access to a lot of technology um, because of the community that i grew up in but um, I very distinctly remember at 16 needing to get a computer for school and I was given a big bulky Linux thing. Um, and I didn't go to I didn't go to school in the morning because I was on the computer playing every video game <sighs> that, that old Linux thing had on it. <laughs> Got to catch up. Yeah, exactly. And my mom wandered into the room and just kind of looked at me and said, are, are you going to school by any chance? And I just kind of looked at her and said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> but yeah. Look, uh, as uh, again, as we were talking about before the show and as the audience is no doubt sick of hearing, I am a teacher and I hear these stories from time to time and I was a little <laughs> bit similar to you from uh, as well from time to time, so I can't judge anyone really too harshly, but then there's that little teacher Mara, that switched in the back of the room like come on get to class i'm right here waiting for you uh, what were the teachers did you ever come clean to the teachers like yeah sorry just playing games don't don't be offended oh yeah um i was very luckily the golden child and got away with just anything oh nice so that it worked out pretty well for me <laughs> all teachers thought you that thought of you that way or were there a few specific ones you could kind of dodge that bullet with <laughs> There were two of them that didn't like me. Um, one of them, um, kind of fair, she kind of she got fired, <laughs> semi because of me oh. at a previous school. It wasn't be because I did anything to her. It was more that um, she got called up because I don't know she didn't answer some questions that I wanted her to answer, and it snowballed into something else. But she really, <laughs> she saw me and was like, "You were the problem." Um, and then when I went to my high school, she uh, she came up to me and. <laughs> And she just sort of went, no hard feelings, right? <laughs> I was looking at her going, I'm 14, what? Yeah, of course there's yeah. no hard feelings for me. I didn't get, yeah. there's nothing negative out of this for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very strange um, situation, but small town stuff, you know. Yeah, fair enough. I guess it's yeah. Yeah, part, part, of, part of the course, I suppose, in those sort of instances. But ooh, someone losing their job because of <laughs> you in part. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> do we count that as a credit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I feel like I was a quiet Proud teenager moment, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. 
So as as you start to dive into those Linux titles and presumably from there you got to experience more more games in time, were there any particular favourites that you really, I guess, in titles you took a fancy to, any particular genres that really gravitated your way? Yeah, so for a while, up until I was about 21, I was still on the outskirts of games. I was kind of fascinated by them. I, I had a lot of friends who were into LAN parties and things like that. Yep. And I was a little bit afraid of jumping in because they were all so much more experienced than me. But um, at about 2021, 20, I got hold of an Xbox 360 and played Portal for the first time, which oh, I just great. Yeah. So that was the first, like, big, real, proper, like, I guess, AAA video game that, yep. um, that I'd played and really got into. Um, and I was just obsessed with it. Oh, I that's... still am. That's a fantastic starting point. Not many people will have had a game of that sort of caliber, yeah, as their their entry entryway in in a lot of respects. Obviously, again, you did mention messing around with some Linux titles before that, but like that's that's a big kind of defining moment in video games for yeah, for definitely. the industry, but also for yourself. So that's really really cool. What was it yeah. about Portal that really caught your eye? And I, I guess if we go down this path, we could find ourselves talking for hours about a game like Portal. But yes. <laughs> was there anything in particular that really stood out? Yeah, I think um, I'd seen like a lot of shooters and I'd seen my friends play a lot of shooters, but I hadn't quite seen anything like that. It didn't really appeal to me. Um, like, I guess the violence didn't really appeal to me. Yeah. Um, like, and then Portal sort of is a first person shooter, but not, Violence. So I felt like I could sort of, sort of like dip my toes in the mechanic without, um, without anything too intense or fast-paced. Yeah. Um, and something I really loved about Portal Two is the um, environmental storytelling and the, the yep. sort of deep lore and narrative that's told through these little recordings and little bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, we've already said it, but yeah, that's a, that's an incredible starting point and a great way to kind of, I guess pick the eyes out of some of the, the various disciplines that are involved in putting together a game like that. Again, from your environmental storytelling that you're talking about to those first-person um, shooting systems, again, obviously sans violence, but um, to kind of get a bit of a feel for so many of those incredible disciplines that go into all, all games but are so finely polished in, a ca- in the case of Portal. Great starting mm. point. How did your taste develop from there, though, as you're really starting to dip your toes in and fall in love with the, the medium? Yeah, so um, I, I jumped onto a few different Xbox games. I think I got hold of Wolfenstein and um, a, a couple of the GTA games as well. Um, and I just, I'd just i seen some of my friends back in the day play like GTA San Andreas and GTA 4. Yep. Um, I think it might have just been, it might have been the year that GTA 5 came out or something like that. Yeah, 2013 um, or thereabouts. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, and I rendered that quite clearly, um, and yeah, 2013, I think, yeah, and jumped into that. Um, and I, it was <laughs> definitely a different pace to uh, to Portal, but sure. I had much fun in the chaos of it. Um, I really like glitches as well and the flaws in games as well. It's just yeah. a little interest of mine. I love to see a game that is just screwed up a little bit um i think that's the funniest thing in the, the world there's plenty of great clips out there from over the years from gta and lots of other games yes exactly so i had a great time um and i i tried to get my mum into it <laughs> um, into the glitches or into gta into gta <laughs> i saw no reason why my 60 odd year old mother shouldn't play gta with me um and she was interested <laughs> 
<laughs> but she found it a little bit much for her. <laughs> yeah, I could see those sensitive tastes at that age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. Um, but it sort of led me into, uh, when I did start studying games, it sort of led me into the ideas of, um, of how nostalgia sort of changes the experience of gameplay in a way, especially if you're um, someone who doesn't share that with your generation. Yep. That's, that's really fascinating. I guess, how, how did that develop as you were you know, continuing to research that a little bit more? What did you kind of take away from all that, those studies? Yeah, so I first sort of noticed it when I was playing Pokemon. Um, yep. I think I played I maybe an older version of Pokemon Sapphire, but I would have played that probably in about 2014 or even 2015. Yeah, okay, so a good decade time. after it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got, I think, um, Pokemon... The new Pokemon uh, Sapphire and Rubies came out on the 3DS. Oh, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got hold of uh, Pokemon Ruby and Pokemon Sun, and I went through those really quickly. I loved them to bits. Um, but in the in the games that other people had played sort of before me, I was um, having a great time playing them, and I was talking to all my game designer friends at, at university, and um, they would get really excited about it. And I was really excited that I had that, to talk about them um, with, but they had these memories of what the game was like from when they were kids. The nostalgia goggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also I think the game's been a bit rebalanced as well. Um, Yeah. yeah, um, So the experience was quite different. I had this, (laughs) I, um, I found myself grinding a lot because the people who were talking to me remembered these battles being so extraordinarily hard um, because they were kids so I floated through you took their advice I, and yeah, yeah, I thought it was going to be really hard, and my adult ideas of a game being really hard um, were very different to maybe a four or five year old's yeah. ideas. So I floated through a lot of Pokemon games without ever learning what moves were strong against what, <laughs> because because you're just so unbelievably that. overpowered. Yeah. To be fair, yeah. like I'm totally conscious of of the yeah, kind of the difficulty of the Pokemon games these days and I still grind just because I enjoy obliterating those gym leaders. Yeah. It's like, a lot of fun. So satisfying. Yeah, like never never worrying about recovery techniques or any or any sort of buffs, debuffs. It's just full firepower and that really exposed me, I guess, back in the day because yeah, I mean I was yeah, brought up oh, when did Pokemon Red and Blue, I guess were ninety six, so I was about six or seven at the time. And then, of course, you know, the 64 came out and they had Pokemon Stadium. And that was kind of when, I mean, there wasn't a lot of, you know, link cables for battles versus on the Game Boy versions. But all of a sudden, when you could save your party on Pokemon Stadium and then a friend would come over and maybe they bring theirs and suddenly you go head to head, that started to expose me a little bit because I'd have I'd have my, my party that is all fully, offen- like just 100% offense. I have stacked them with every different... Um, attack you know attack buff and all those sorts of the like the items that do that and the rare candies and all of those sorts of things and then i'd come against someone who had gone down that similar sort of path but they just balanced it with like mewtwo with recover for example and all of a sudden they would just wait me out until like i, I would just eventually run out because all these high attack moves you know have a have a lower number of uh, pp like you can't use them as often and I would essentially burn myself out until I had nothing left, and then they'd go on the offense and wipe me out. Oh, there's a layer of strategy here that I've never contemplated, but it never never concerned me through the core experience because you didn't have to worry. You could just bulldoze your way through. 
Yeah, and yeah. And so these days I don't play competitive because I still like to play that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, no, that makes sense. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, Pokemon. Uh, I'm sure, look, whenever, uh, whenever what is it, uh, Violet, and, uh, Violet and Scarlet come out this year, I'll probably play the same way again, just much like you, grind and grind and grind and then plow through those gym leaders. It'll be good, good fun for all of us. Yeah. Maybe we can bond over that if we're still playing the same way when the time comes. Not far yeah. away now, though. So you obviously mentioned like these were some conversations you were having once you were in your, your course and you were studying um, studying in video games. But how did, I mean, an initial, I mean, late exposure to video games and you know, a very, kind of, I presume, accelerated love of them. But how did you come from enjoying games to actually considering, hey, I might chase down a spot in this industry like I might actually try and be a part of creating them as opposed to purely consuming them yeah um I think it was a little bit of luck and a little bit of I didn't have any idea of the actual stakes um so (laughs) because I didn't grow up wanting to make video games the way that a lot of um, my fellow students did I had no idea that it was an industry that was particularly difficult to get into um I had a weird sort of situation where I really wanted to follow some sciences but my family is like an art focused family so there was a bit of pressure to do, get into music and art and things like that and um, the teachers really pushed me in terms of art as well um, yeah. it was a thing that I did and I did enjoy it but um, I just didn't enjoy it in a structured kind of way to this to this day I still do art and um, I've done a lot of commissions and things like that get myself through yeah. me but it wasn't wasn't it's my part yeah 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 and i think um after an art course that i wasn't really feeling like my heart was in um someone uh just said to me hey you should make video games and i thought oh okay yeah i'll, I'll give Great. that how it. do i do that <laughs> yeah so at that point i was thinking about it and um i'd just been doing a project in my art course and finishing up that where i was like um designing like a superhero and doing some character design stuff which was a lot of fun and world building and stuff and that was starting to get my brain going um and i thought like if i'm going to make video games i need to learn how to use a computer Um, very important so i did a a bridging course which was at rmit Uh, i think the the um title has changed it's screen and media now and it's a little bit different but um but it was the diploma of, I guess at the time, interactive digital media. Digital media. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that diploma taught me so, so many skills from graphic design to web design, um, 3D modeling, game development a little bit. And yeah, just all sorts of things. Some marketing as well. Yeah. Heap, heaps of stuff. So after that, I had a lot of different paths that I could take. But um, that course basically guaranteed me a spot in um, the RMIT games degree. That's yeah. awesome. Which yeah. you pivoted across to almost immediately, if I've got my timelines right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just did a year of the interactive digital media and then Jumped got over. into um, the game design course and also psychology because a year in, I thought, this isn't hard enough, let's do two degrees. Yeah, I did, like, as I was kind of combing through LinkedIn beforehand to make sure I had all my timelines kind of right, I did note, I couldn't help but notice that there was the overlap between yeah, the Bachelor of Game Design at RMIT and the Bachelor of Psychological Science at Swinburne. I thought, have I, are these dates wrong? Like, is there, oh. is there something wrong? But they're totally correct. You just thought, why not both? Tequila Mostos, yep. as the, the old elder Pessoad says. I woke up from surgery, I made a decision on anaesthetic, and I stuck with it for some reason. Um, and... 
I actually started the psychology at RMIT. Um, I just started taking all the, the classes because the system didn't, like, it couldn't stop me from doing that. So I'll just, I'll do them all. <laughs> yeah, I was just doing them all. Um, all of the ones I, I could within, um, without, like, crossovers. But it was, yeah. like, two, it was all the core subjects and some extra things. Um, and they found out... <laughs> And they they uh, told me not to do that, and I was very cross about that. So I thought I better go to another university. Yeah. So what they, I mean, I'm I'm trying to put my head uh, my head in the space of someone who works at a uni, maybe on the the top sort of layer. I'm figuring they didn't like that because that means they couldn't extract any more money out of you if you fast track yeah. this thing. That's less years in their system. I'm sure it was that at the time. I thought they were. Um, just telling me to do that because um, they for didn't want. Well yeah, 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 for my own good. And to be honest, fair. Um, it was a time that I have memory loss from lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if you jump in two courses, that's there's not a lot of time for anything else, let alone, I guess, even working to make some money. Yeah, I was doing watercolor commissions at the same time, yeah, right. and I don't know if you've ever tried watercolor, but it takes a long time. Look, it's been a while since I've done anything in watercolor, and I certainly wasn't any good at it, so that's why it's been now a long time. But, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't recall the process being quick, I suppose. No. Not no. that any art is, really, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was a, a longer process than the average, I guess. Definitely, yeah. It just, it's a lot. It's a lot all the time. I did a watercolor animation in the interactive digital media course, which again, um, probably should have been warned off that. And I'm pretty sure maybe that I was warned off that and then I just did it. So I have a bit of a history of just doing the thing um, that people tell me not to do. I mean, as we continue to follow this career on, we'll just pay attention to how many times have you deviated from what was maybe recommended <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep a close eye i said recommended not to, not what you were told because that's maybe a whole other whole other kettle of fish when there's employers involved and those sorts of things. yeah and i wouldn't want to put you in that position by implying otherwise not, yeah um, but i guess the the nature of a lot of game courses and i mean knowing a few people who've gone through the rmit rmit game design course like there's there's plenty of instances along the way where you're working with others to develop games and if you're spinning these two different plates at the same time, these two different courses, as well as doing the watercolour work for commissions to make money to keep yourself afloat, how did it go when the time came to be a part of these projects and develop games with, with others from your course if you're presumably working all hours of the day and the night? Um, I'm not entirely sure um, other than I just kind of did it. A bit like that anaesthetic um, blur again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was kind of, yeah. Um, I, there were just a lot of late nights. I lived, um, I lived up the road from a Coles Express, uh, which was open 24-7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of the, all of the staff knew me. Um, and I'd go there all the time at, you know, 2am, 3am, 6am, you know, just because I was up all night studying and they'd, um, they'd ask me about my course, you know, I'd, I'd be down there at like three or 4am going, oh yeah, I'm nearly done. I'm about to go to bed. And then I'd be there at like seven or something ridiculous after a nap going, I'm on my way to my exam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's, it's great having, yeah, as simple as like a Coles Express, you know, a little local supermarket or petrol station that's riding the bumps with you. Yeah. $1 hot chocolates. <laughs> they help, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> chai lattes and delicious things. Yeah, so lots of treats, um, 
<laughs> lots of sleepless nights. As Gotta well. get yourself through somehow though, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just always at my computer. And if I wasn't at my computer, I was doing something that maybe was it at uni or something like yeah. that. So working on, I guess, focusing on the actual projects that do get designed as a part of the course, do you do you have anything that you look upon particularly fondly from that period? I mean, I guess, you know, as I kind of go through the timeline, we've got yeah, the, the, dip, uh, the diploma in 2014, we've got jumping into the course at 2014 through 18, there's the psychological science bit along the way as well. And then there's um, March 2016 to 20, uh, May 2016, we've got Vetra Games there and that's where you're doing some art asset creation, there's some artistic direction. Mm. Um, and I assume, was that like kind of a team formed as a part of your course or? No, no. Was so um, that was actually... Yeah, no, that was someone else's company. Um, she'd formed it um, a while ago with a bunch of friends in the UK. Yeah. Um, then she came over here. She's actually doing the course with me. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of a, a kind of like you you got to know people to get in situation, oh, I guess. Oh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, she just, she was predominantly a programmer. So um, she needed a little bit of help with some art direction. A lot of our projects were actually done together. Um, I think we worked on almost every project together. Yeah, cool. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was um, good. We were both in the interactive digital media course as well. So, um, yeah, she asked for my help with some UI stuff. And I'd done, I mean, we'd both done some graphic design stuff. And um, I had an art background. So yep. just kind of made some assets and Photoshop and stuff and um, made sure go. there was the right size and all that jazz. So, um I love my color theory, and if I get a chance to jump at that, then I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough. And I guess yeah. along the way, some good experience. To, I mean, like some formal experience as opposed to the the school based kind of structured programs that you would have gone through as a part of the RMIT course as well. So that's yeah, that's pretty awesome. yeah, definitely. So it was just like a very sort of short thing. The game, I'm not sure that it was even released. I believe last I heard, she was still. Um, like she, she was kind of talking with the person who just paid her to do it. It was like a subcontracting situation. Yeah. Um, and oh, sorry about that. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think he just like started doing something else or something. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it was just one of those things. But it was really good to have something to put on my resume. Um, it definitely really helped. Um, um, it was great to have something on my resume that, um, that I could include in like future job opportunities i guess yeah for like, sure yeah uh i guess like it's it's good having that formal experience um again as opposed to school-based one that's the it's it's obviously handy the experience you develop through a through a, a university or tertiary program but yeah again having that kind of formal workplace thing does help and i guess yeah. once once the i guess both courses were done um that's where we kind of skip ahead to mighty kingdom how did the opportunity emerge in the first place and i mean i mean for anyone who's unaware rmit swinburne these are these are victorian um tertiary providers and mighty kingdom south australia now they do obviously especially post pandemic have kind of opened up f further and they work with people from all across australia um but you jumped uh jumped across the border um yeah. what was that like and how did the opportunity yeah. emerge in the first place well, um, I don't remember exactly how I heard about it. It must have either been um, from a Facebook group. There's a lot of really good Facebook groups to jump into that yeah. um, 
that have all of those job postings. I'm pretty sure it was in one of them. Um, it was the second ever year that they'd run the graduate program as well. So it was still fairly new. A lot more people know about it now, um, but I was pretty lucky to come across it. Um, and it's sort of like a position where you don't really need any experience really. Um, but also because those positions are so rare, there's a lot of people applying. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was pretty lucky to get in, I guess. I had um, a portfolio and a history of putting together some interesting and strange mechanics. So I got to the the point where I, um, I got the design test and um, I brought out my all every skill that I possibly could in order to put that into the test, which included um, all of my graphic design stuff. Yep. There were, um, there, the test had some games that weren't theirs that were in the Apple on the Apple Store that I could play. Oh, yeah. first. Um, and I was doing things like reverse searching fonts to get to make the right. Um, thing for my test yeah it was all all very pretty but also as well designed as i possibly could make it yeah that's that's really cool and i guess yeah you did have such a a diverse skill set there at that point that that probably really helps and i guess for anyone who finds themselves in similar positions in the past the more um not even outside of the box sort of skills like that just that broader range of skills is certainly going to help in any of these sort of instances so if you've got skills take advantage of them try and find ways to embed them in what you do what you're trying to do in that day-to-day and it'll really help and absolutely it did for you. Yeah. yeah so i was doing psych um you know the analytics question i, I sort of looked at it from that standpoint um yeah. and just went through that and that's ended up um being something that i focused on in, in my career as well no that's that's awesome and i guess yeah. since having arrived at mighty kingdom there's a there's a, quite a few titles that you've been a part of from from wildlife to shopkin suite there's uh star trek lower decks what's it been like being a part of so many really fascinating little titles in what is ultimately still when we think about it especially when you kind of factor the pandemic and how i presume even for mighty kingdom that slowed things down yeah um, what was that like to be a part of putting all those titles together and there's a couple more there that i didn't that i didn't mention as well yeah it's ultimately such a short space yeah um i've been on a lot of projects considering that i've only really been in the industry for three and a half years ish um full-time anyway um but yeah it, it has been kind of all over the place i've worn a lot of different hats but um i also kind of enjoy doing that as well especially in the um the anyone who comes in through the design program especially the graduate sort of design program yeah as a designer you tend to wear a lot of hats anyway but in the um, graduate program they kind of get you to wear a lot of hats so that um you can figure out what you kind of want to do in the future um and you end up with a lot of different capacities and a lot of different skill sets because of that so um on wildlife i did everything from narrative to level design to a little bit of some project management stuff to um to uh, analytics as well yep. that was a lot of fun and a lot of live ops design as well which is something i really enjoyed yeah great yeah. and i was by a product manager as well which was a lot of fun and, and really really good and obviously you've kind of got a bit more of a focus these days but i mean are there any of those other disciplines that you don't necessarily work with as much these days but you'd love to just every now and then dip your toe back in and scratch an itch for want of a better phrase yeah, so whenever I get to be on a pitch, I, I have a lot of fun because um, 
I get to make it pretty and I like to make things pretty. <laughs> Leveraging <laughs> some skills that we were discussing earlier. Exactly. So yeah, we had, uh, I can't talk about the, the company, but we had to come up with um, a lot of different really small pitches for them. Um, and it was pretty much like a really short pitch per uh, PowerPoint slide. And yep. that slide was maybe 20, 30 pages long. Um, and I got to... <laughs> Every single <laughs> one of them looks stunning, I presume. <laughs> pretty much yeah 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 and i i just had some little tricks as well um i was actually mentoring uh, the two design grads and one of them was helping me with it at the time so yep. i was showing her some little um little photoshop tricks just to make something look a tiny bit better but also it takes you know two seconds to do um yeah, right. and i felt very cool <laughs> look at me in the you know puffed out chest style thing and exactly. but also i assume you're really enjoying getting back into that side of things as well yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there was another pitch too that I got to do some art for as well, which is a lot of fun. Um, I still do art in my spare time, but again, more structured, no, but um, yeah. every now and then it's kind of fun. No, that's that's awesome. And I guess yeah. cycling back to the, the, the aspect that was you moving interstate, what was what was that like? I mean, have you had you always been based out of Victoria up to that point? And so was this a I mean, did you no, no looking back and just off you go? Was there a little bit of anxiety about making the shift? What, what was it like for you, you know, just personally as you as you moving uh, moving abroad is a little bit extreme, but yeah. um, moving a few moving into a different time zone. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a little bit scary. I I grew up in Victoria. I grew up in rural Victoria though. Um, so moving to Melbourne was it was a similar kind of shift because I didn't know anyone and yeah. I didn't have the I, I wasn't sure how to sort of make friends in a city circumstance where yeah. people just aren't like the same kinds of people just aren't around you all the time so um when I when I was moving thinking about moving to Adelaide I didn't really expect to get this position because especially for design it's really you usually have to angle yourself in your career a little bit more and maybe get some experience in like some QA or something else beforehand yeah. Um, so I applied, but I didn't really for a moment think that uh, that would be successful. No um, not, not because I wasn't proud of my work or I didn't think that I was capable of it. It was just that, um, I knew the chances of it were so low. Yeah. It's just a mathematical uh, thing. here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I was kind of excited about it at each interview stage cause it's quite a long process. I think I applied in November and I was hired like properly in Adelaide in March. Yeah. So a long time of just back and forth and waiting. And each time I was just kind of like, hang on a minute, that worked. What? <laughs> I'm here to the next stage. How did I do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it's sort of funny. I didn't really have that much time to be nervous about it I had a lot of changes going on in my own life as well and um, I just sort of finished my course as well so it was time it was at the end of an era in a way yep. and I was a little bit sad to be moving away my my best friend is in Melbourne and I, I love them to bits I was very sad to leave them behind um, but we're still in touch and uh, they're actually coming up on the weekend so oh, that's, that's fantastic yeah yeah so uh, it was the end of an era and it was sad but i'd kind of felt like i'd done it before in a sense like in a smaller sense yeah. um and i came to adelaide and i've been i feel like i've been really making a life here for myself 
um i had i moved at the right time to a year before the pandemic yeah you got a year to get settled in yeah so uh i yeah i started doing that i got my own apartment for the first time i was very excited about all of that um back into share house now though um i don't like living on my own (laughs) fair enough yeah uh but yeah it, it was good fun um then the pandemic hit and it was it was really hard i think it was really hard for everyone i was really really scared because right as my it was right as my contract was expiring so of course all i was thinking was they're just not going to sign me again everyone else is permanent all the grads were um, on one-year contracts so it made sense to me that they wouldn't sign my contract and i was it's it's a higher risk thing yeah yeah do i have to go back to melbourne what's good what's going to happen um but they all assured us that it was going to be fine and we still had jobs and i really really appreciated all of that um the stability in the instability of the the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't even know what covid was yet and i was immunocompromised as well which wasn't all right okay things yeah so it was an adventure um 2020 went by and there wasn't as much work, but that meant that I got to work on some really fun things. Um, we had MKX for a while, which was yep. just a lot of prototyping and experiments and pictures and things like that. And it got to, um, I think, open, I think, most of the people who were at the company at the time up to, I think, Phil's vision of the company, which is to eventually sort of uh, into um, the areas of um, original IP and things like yes. that. Um, which is something they've been talking about for a little while and dipping their toes into. So it was a really good opportunity to um, kind of sit with what we had and the skills that we had and think about, I think, where we all wanted to be and, and go. But yeah, it was it was been good in the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, yeah, it's as you say, it's a, probably a really good thing that you had a year to kind of get settled and establish some relationships within the business in the first place before all of that, mm. because I'd imagine, oh, even if that, you know, 12 month gap was six three like that's that's a whole whole other thing that you you're still really establishing a lot you haven't perhaps even totally settled in the location let alone the relationship side of it as well and so to have the covid layer thrown over the top and i guess as as someone who was uh, remaining in victoria through the entirety of the pandemic i guess we looked a little bit over uh, over to south australia enviously for quite some time there but you know you weren't without restrictions at the same time so Mm. um yeah, it must have been still throwing its challenges at you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those those few months too were quite scary, um, especially being immunocompromised. I actually went and stayed with um, one of my managers for a while because um, they also had to sort of be in a quite isolated state as well because yeah. they had um, immunocompromised family members. And I was in my own, on my like in my apartment, just terrified of what was going to happen. Um, but it was really good to sort of have that support there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To have someone that kind of understands or is kind of, um, working to the same kind of self-imposed restraints or constraints, I suppose, I guess, to protect in that, in their case, the, the family or friends, but Mm, yeah, have that someone else like yourself in the, in that same position. Yeah. I think working as a team, I guess, having that, having that team relationship would be great. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But on the working side, and I guess we've kind of spoken about um, MKX and those sorts of things, how did you settle on to, into the working side of it and kind of, I guess, the nature of remote work and those sorts of things as they 
become became kind of imposed upon you yeah um i think especially because i um i'd been <laughs> to be honest quite poor for very very lo- a very long time um and i suddenly had full-time work and i i hadn't quite adjusted to I guess my like the understanding that I had access to certain things. Yep. Um, I just didn't think about my air conditioner. It never occurred to me to turn it on, be- even yeah, right. when I was hot or cold, because I was used to um, like layering <laughs> I was, up. Yeah, yeah, layering up, or even just you know, back in, in my mum's house, we um, rarely used the aircon, but we had a wood fire, so yeah, okay. My brain would go to <laughs> shopping wood, maybe, if it, even though it wasn't really relevant um to my new situation so it's kind of there um the pandemic happened i was suddenly working from home from home which i didn't like at all i wanted to be in in the office with all the people around me um i'm actually working from home voluntarily these days but it took me so long to get there in the right headspace Um, yeah i had (laughs) i didn't really understand that um i could just go and buy like a desk chair and stuff so I had these pallets that I... Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'd actually made... I I properly made a a bed out of them. I I had some woodworking skills as well. So I'd made a proper, like, a nice pallet bed, but it was a pallet bed. And I used the scraps to to make a bench. Um, But it was a bed. The best sort of improv, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I've upgraded, of course, since then. But it was just this bizarre sort of um, situation where, in my mind, it was a temporary fix because it was a temporary situation, but then it just kept being a situation. Look, you say you've replaced it now, but I'm waiting for the moment that computer just slides on the spot because one of the pallets, like one of the planks, just falls out of the pallet. We can never be exactly. too sure here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So that was it. Was a strange era, um, and it took me an odd amount of time to just go. Okay, I'm gonna buy. <laughs> I'm gonna buy a proper buy a desk. desk. I'll buy a chair. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was very strange. This year I upgraded my desk actually, and, um, I have a really nice one. So fantastic. <laughs> really that. nice ones are good. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I've learned, <laughs> I've learned to make do really so handy much. for productivity too. Yeah. But working from home, um, I mean, MK is great because they allow working from home and a lot of companies want people to go back into yeah. the office, but, uh, not just in games. It's all over the place. Um, the nature of my work yeah 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 um but i feel like because we have a lot of people in the office who have kids or are having kids now um you know the parents being at home was kind of like it's a a distraction sometimes but it's a big help um and eventually i sort of learned that like while i'm working from home i can go and i can put the dishwasher on or i can put a load of washing on and you know it takes 30 seconds out of my work day which i can make up you know yeah absolutely yeah 30 seconds yeah. is easily clawed back exactly um and i ended up getting a kitten as well which i oh, was great. very excited about yeah so um i had never had a kitten before i'd always had ancient cats that right. had ended up with me somehow um, <laughs> and didn't understand what <laughs> getting a kitten would entail um <laughs> Which was, um, I mean, lots of fun in a lot of ways. Lots of scratches. Um, (laughs) No sleep and no furniture that's in a usable condition. What's a good thing you had pallet desks at the time, right? That's right. Yeah. So it worked out. You were actually thinking ahead. 
yeah 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 it's, it's so so smart and <laughs> thoughtful <laughs> of me <laughs> but yeah um i yeah i got to i guess benefit from um the culture of mighty kingdom being really friendly to people who kind of need to be at home yeah. and um with me having had some health adventures um throughout the years even since working at mighty kingdom working from home um slowly became just the better option i went back um for a large portion of last year because i was mentoring the design grads and it's really yeah. important to see them face to face um and be there in the office with them um, but yeah, now now I'm kind of back uh, working from home again. Um, game dev household, actually. Oh, one of them isn't. But... I got more in the household that are in game dev too. That's that's pretty cool. I guess yeah. in that sense, also really great to maybe bond and reflect over varying experiences as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, it's just it's a good kind of vibe. I was in a game dev household in Melbourne as well. I had. Um, someone I think was working as a lecturer or a teacher or something at SAE. Yeah. And someone who was working in the industry and I was still studying at the time, but it was really good to be around other people in that. Yeah, pick their brains. Yeah, absolutely. And we had every console under the sun. (laughs) Yeah, you never starve for choice at that point, right? No, no. But, but that's fantastic good. to hear that yeah, MK was so, and I, as you know, I, I know of the likes of, for example, Ellie McLean, who's been on the show in the past that you know works remotely, and um, our own. If I indulge for a moment on the on the player two, where I've right side, we've got Jess Samet, one of our editors, who's obviously MK as well, and um, all remote. And it's it's fantastic that the the studio is so accommodating in that way. And I guess to open it up more broadly to the life at Mighty Kingdom. Um, I mean, they're so well known for for their culture that clearly shines through in in that particular sense, and how accommodating they've been to their their employees and the COVID circumstance, but even beyond. But obviously, inclusivity and all of those sorts of things as well. Um, I mean, what can you speak to in t- in that sense? And uh, I mean, obviously, inclusivity is there's so many different ways we can kind of look at it. Um, we've obviously just we've obviously just had Pride Month quite recently, but there's there's so many aspects of that as well, even be, even beyond that one very important pillar what uh, mm. what's it been like to just kind of be a part of that culture that is so renowned at this point yeah i i think that it's just been kind of nice to be in a space where i guess like there are a lot of people and you can't account for everything yeah. things go wrong all the time but um there it's easier to kind of talk about it and resolve things like this when you're in a culture that um that values things like diversity yeah um yeah so we had pride month we recently and um there was a call for some of us to be involved in um god i can't remember what they called it but it's on their website it was a really short interview it was very sweet of them to um put that forward and also kind of not partake in the like the big sort of rainbow capitalism that sort of goes on oh, at that yeah, time of the yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, like every every friggin' company that I think I saw Absolute or something had a feather boa on their vodka bottle or something, you know? It's, yeah, I follow what you mean. Yeah, there's, yeah, they try and yeah, capitalise on the market yeah. side. Absolutely, yeah. Which is a shame, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. So it was nice to not have to endure that <laughs> um, yeah you're sending these messages yeah. because they're messages that are worth putting out there and worth promoting as opposed to using it to try and 
generate an improvement in the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess we have our, our like our channel for that on Slack as well that we talk in. Um, yeah. There's also yeah, there's all sorts of different channels that are spaces for people of different genres. I want to say, yeah. um, just to talk to each other in, and it's great to be able to have that like in a workspace as yeah. well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's nice to have other people in the workspace that are also queer women or also chronically ill. There's, oh God, there's a lot of us in the games industry that seem to be. Yeah. <laughs> But again, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, in the in the working circumstance before, you had parents and those sorts of things as well. And uh, as you mentioned, there's kind of more parents lately. Like even even that sort of um, area as well for people to be able to reflect on kind of their experiences, how they're going, and be able to talk about like all of that stuff's really important, especially when you've got a staff that is a, a bit of a hybrid of face to face as well as um, remote. Like there's there's the risk that, and it could you know be in any organisation where especially those that are remote could kind of fall off the radar a little bit because you're not seeing them face to face. But everything I hear and even you just describing the slack there and how that's being used, it just sounds like the company is so proactive in ensuring that that doesn't happen, that everyone is looked after, that everyone is valued. And again, obviously there's um, the the Pride Month component we've discussed, but there is all these other pillars to regardless of who you are or what you believe in or sexuality or any of those, any, anything. Um, yeah, yeah, it just sounds like the company does such an incredible job of supporting and giving people the mm. the opportunity to open up and discuss and talk and share and support one another. Yeah, it's a good space to be in, and um, I mean, immediately, I think a few months in, I made one of uh, my very best friends in Adelaide. Now, I guess uh, she's kind of living a little bit. She's living in border town, a little yeah. far away, but that's okay. That's not the point. She was in Adelaide at the time, um, but we kind of just instantly bonded and were able to make a really solid friendship right. and um, like that's happened a lot and I feel like that just tends to happen when you're with like like-minded people yeah. who are in a in a space that have faced like similar kinds of things that are happening and had to um, develop different ways of living and doing the life things and stuff you yeah. know um yeah i don't want to say coping skills because it's not as intense as that um <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know uh it's just like i guess it's a kind of culture within a culture i suppose yeah. And, yeah and it's fantastic and as i said i've heard so many great things obviously from uh from yourself today from i mean dakota was on the last episode we've had again we've had ali i know jess and jess talks about a lot of it recently we've had philip in the past like there's, there's so, and then just so many people who've not even necessarily worked with the company, but have interacted or they've, or they know people who are a part of the company and they, and just unanimous positivity in that sense, which is sadly not common enough across, not just obviously the, the game development scene, but so many industries that there's always someone who's got something negative to say or have, have had a bad experience. And I'm, I don't want to ever be so definitive to say that's not been the case, but I'm, we're not hearing any of that, which is, fantastic to hear Mm, yeah i feel like to um like a lot of people at mighty kingdom really care about the health of the games industry itself and there are let's be honest some really terrible things that uh, have happened in the industry and there's some really deep rooted problems and um there's probably always going to be at least within our lifetimes remnants of that 
and remnants of those cultures. Um, Someone said to me when I first um, was in the games industry that when he started, um, he, like when he was kind of my age and he was um, going to meetings with his managers, they were going to strip clubs. Um, Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, which, I don't know, it's a little bit of an intense place for a Yeah, it's a, an interesting spot to... Did you say a meeting? Like, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know how you could possibly justify that. Yeah, I'm guessing... Yeah, I'd, They weren't I'd, there for a meeting. I didn't ask follow-up yeah. questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the comment alone says everything you need to know, really. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I guess, like, there's been a really big cultural shift, and I think when there are those cultural shifts... Like the the muddiness of the things of, that have been covered up by that culture start to come to the surface. Yes, and it can sometimes seem like um, all of a sudden, because of this cultural shift, we're having all of these like I guess earthquakes happening within yeah. the industry. But really, it's just shedding light on things that already existed, and now we can look at them in honesty and try to change them. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of us at MK that are, that try to be really involved in the industry and set an example. Um, not that like it's necessarily just our jobs to do that or anything that anyone can be a part of that um, but it's really nice to I guess be around people who care really deeply about yeah. these things um, like I have some good friends that we like we make sure that we're always involved in these like like opportunities yeah. um, and it's just like it's good for your career but it's also just really good for the industry and to meet other like-minded people and support all of the people who are coming into the industry so they know um like what you set a kind of standard for them as yes. a, i suppose of how they should be treated and, and spoken to yeah and i mean yeah having high expectations of one another in that space is mm. not a bad thing in any uh, yeah. in any organizational business so it's it's so good that the mighty kingdom is really leading the way locally but i'm sure it's being noticed abroad as well yeah yeah i, I hope so yeah um, I know one of the things that Phil really cares about is bringing the big names back here um, that left during the the last financial crisis. Yeah, um, yeah, he really cares about the um, the industry. Sometimes I forget that um, that I have Phil on Twitter, <laughs> which is very jarring sometimes when he <laughs> says something to me about something that I posted on Twitter, oh. um, which is kind of like where a lot of game devs sort of are in the world yeah absolutely that's how a lot of my past guests have kind of come about it's been twitter (laughs) exchanges dms and then surprise you're on the show yeah yeah right um and i feel like i need to get south australia on twitter um because a lot of the game devs aren't on twitter um from south australia for some reason yeah we need to have a chat in particular and if you're i mean you're obviously local so you can maybe even help me a little bit with this uh if we can track down and i think you possibly know where this is going um <laughs> the folks at team cherry we need to we need to find every single one of them and make sure they're on twitter and then I'll, as soon as that's the case i'll, I'll be in touch guys <laughs> yeah. i'm keen to talk i don't even need to press you about the release date that will come when it comes I'll, i'm ready and willing to wait for the silk song but i'd love to have you on the show so please <laughs> just join twitter for a while yeah, I know. It's fun. It's kind of nice. You can hang out with game difference. Yeah. Yeah. Talk shop. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or just con- consistently post all the strange things I see or think of. Um, Some awesome memes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, every time my cat finds my housemate's earplugs and chews them up on my carpet. Ooh. Yeah. They don't go damn well. They're not uh, AirPods or something expensive, are they? <laughs> Luckily, they're just like earplugs for yeah, like. Yeah, okay, right. Oh, okay. Really, yeah, che- yeah. really cheap and easy to replace. That's a relief. Exactly. So, yeah, we're really lucky that she doesn't like headphones. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope yeah. that doesn't change. Touch wood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, as we begin to wind things down, I, I guess we've spoken a lot about your experiences so far and kind of some of the titles along the way, but it, honing in, I guess, a bit more on you and your your approach to your work, is there anyone out there that really inspires you and the way you go about your work and whether that's certain aspects of what you do or even, I guess, overall? Yeah. Um, I think because of the the way that I meandered into the industry, um, when I think such a very specific, (laughs) yeah, yeah. When I think of the people who inspired me, they, they weren't necessarily the big names or like the triple A games. Um, they are, they are all the little indie studios who I met for the first time when I first went to GCAP, which is a conference that you can get a scholarship to and should go to if you're listening. (laughs) It's really, really good. Um, and it, it probably meant the difference between me getting into the industry straight away and not getting into the industry straight away, to be, to be honest. Yeah, right. um, I learned a lot of language there and I really encourage anyone who can go to go. Um, but yeah, in terms of who inspired me, it was all of the people that I met and had a five, 10 minute conversation with and was just blown away. Um, I remember one, um, one talk in particular, which was about... Um, serious games um it was a company that had put together uh, a simulation that taught um family members and um and nurses who were who were treating these patients and being around these patients um sort of what it was kind of like to have dementia and there was something that really struck me especially in my own journey with health which was uh, a comment um that was something like um it's not that the person is causing a problem or being a problem, it's that they're experiencing a problem. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I don't think I'd ever really heard empathy like that in regard to um, people with dementia or anything. I felt like I was sort of fighting an uphill battle with my own health and it just, it was so kind um, that all of these people had come together to make this huge VR simulation that cost a lot of money that so much work went into and um i was just blown away um and i knew that i wanted to do something like that um and i was very lucky to be involved in a serious game with the red cross and mighty kingdom which was lovely and yeah. I, I hope that i get to do something else like that in the future it's it's really amazing um and i think we've got a little um we've got a smaller company in in melbourne doing something like that i'm not sure if you know much about kinder world uh, um, i know the name i unfortunately don't know a lot more than that at the moment yeah yeah it's by lumi interactive um and yeah it's just yeah it's so lovely that people are using games for good i guess that that's fantastic and i'll I'll definitely have to do my own research because i mean lumi is a name that i'm absolutely across so um I'm going to have to do a bit of digging post-show yeah. at this point just to make sure I'm a bit more across that one. I think, yeah, the the serious games uh, area and what, what that can really contribute is, so I think, something that's still perhaps undervalued um, by the general consumer because they're typically looking for the, the entertainment package. But 
Mm. There's, there's a lot there's a lot of good out there and and it's awesome as well that along the way you got to meet these people that are obviously exploring that sort of space but even presumably as you're describing it other people who might have entered games through a similar pathway to yourself and had similar experiences along the way and so to be able to learn from them and as, as we said kind of be inspired by the, them is, is awesome yeah 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 there, it's really lovely yeah great that's awesome to hear have there been any particularly valuable lessons that you've picked up along the way things that I guess you've really held on to and helped guide their kind of that north star even now yeah um I think that um because of a, a lot of I guess where I ended up was because of luck I instead of learning the hard way I kind of had to look back on my journey and go wait where did I go right how did this lead to that um one of the things that I've learned in terms of just entering the games industry is make a game yep. um if you can make more than one game and if you really can release it somewhere somehow find a way um, yeah, uh, like the games industry is competitive. It's always been competitive. And I feel like it's becoming more competitive. There are more jobs and there are more things popping up, but there are more people who are, who want to be a part of that space. Um, even some people from other industries that are suddenly hearing about games and think, oh, that sounds like fun. Um, but yeah, portfolio, uh, what people, I guess I've been on the hiring side a little bit now. Yeah. What a lot of people are looking for in terms of... Um, portfolio now is um, a higher standard that than even um, I needed to get into the industry at the time. They're looking for things like videos, games that they can actually play, whether they're on Itch or the App Store or whatever. Yeah, however it is um, they can be accessed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as long as they can be accessed. And, um, oh, my cat opened the door. <laughs> yeah, but any game that... steal some earbuds, right? <laughs> yeah, it's probably <laughs> only somewhere <laughs> in here. Um, yeah, anything that you can show you you made a game, that's like your the thing that you need to show, I guess. Yeah. Um, the starting point for any designer especially. I think it's um, maybe less important if you're interested in being an artist or, um, or maybe... Uh, I guess any of that side of things, but in terms of um, programming or design, I think it's having really that experience that tangible thing that someone could pick up and play. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Even in an interview, um, yeah. Especially release titles. A lot of them ask for release titles, and I've been very fortunate to have worked on a huge range of release titles um, and have a really crazy big portfolio <laughs> for the amount of time I've been here. Um, and part of that is is luck but um that is really what i recommend because it seems to be the reason why some people want to talk to me about it yeah. um or yeah i mean there's a degree of making your own luck at the same time there is that hard work and again i guess if we go back to the way you approached your studies back in uh, back in the day like i presume that sort of level of focus <laughs> and intensity is possibly still there from you i don't think you just lose that overnight so no. that, I, I mean, that sort of application is what usually brings about good results regardless of the industry and of course you know that, that kind of spins off into other conversations about kind of looking after yourself and all of those sorts of things too um mm. but it's it's still that that kind of that passion and that laser-like focus and that, that really really helps yeah yeah and I, I guess like i find it easier because i um i get enthusiastic about anything yeah um even if at first I think I don't want to do it, if I just hype myself up for it, I want to do it so bad. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> recommend.
and uh, trying to do that. Um, I, I find it really easy to do. Um, and right. that has, I guess, driven me to do all of these interesting, strange things <laughs> that are all very different from each other. No, that's, that's awesome. Some fun ones as we wrap up. If you could be credited for any game in any capacity, so you could kind of retroactively add your name into the credits, is there a game that you'd pick, like you'd instantly pick one? Yeah, Portal, of course. Fantastic I choice. That game, yeah. <laughs> thought even when when I when we were discussing earlier, on, I thought that one might come up a little bit later on. Hearing yep. that passion at yeah. the time makes sense. That's an awesome choice. What about? <laughs> and I guess, I guess it could be the same answer again. If you could go back and replay any game, so strike it from your memory and get to go all over again, clean. Would it be Portal? It'd got to be. It'd have to be Portal or perhaps Monument Valley. I really oh, yeah. really game as well yeah yeah a couple of fantastic titles there some great choices and i'm not sure if monument valley's come up actually i'm not even sure if portals come up despite uh, having had a lot of people on the show that have really praised it over the journey i'm not sure if that one's actually been the game that's i'm I'm sure i mean we're 90 episodes in at this point surely (laughs) surely someone said it it's just uh, that's a lot of episodes to to forget that (laughs) that particular answer to now um but yeah both a pair of fantastic titles and i don't blame you in the slightest Emma, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far. And I'm sure our, the listeners will be keeping a close eye going forward to see what you're up to. And I don't know, if nothing else, enjoying photos of your cat, um, <laughs> as, as we touched on before. But um, if people do want to see what you're up to, see what the studio's up to, where would they be best to go? Yeah, well, you can um, you can follow Mighty Kingdom on, I believe, Facebook, um, Instagram. I Twitter. think Twitter as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's all of the social media that Mighty Kingdom has. And as for me, I'm um, OK Osprey on Twitter and um, probably on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, I'm usually on Twitter and I'm usually posting something about my cat eating my housemate's earplugs. So enjoy that and uh, feel free if you've had similar experiences to, to wax about that on, on Twitter as well. It'd be good fun. <laughs> As I mentioned, Emma, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far. There are undoubtedly some fantastic things ahead for you and, of course, the team at Mighty Kingdom. So I personally, but I presume on behalf of the entire audience as well, look forward to seeing all those things. And again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. And listeners, as always, thank you much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to in an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Emma's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.